Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody out there in the podcasting iTunes SoundCloud stratosphere airwaves. Um, welcome to Broadway Breakdown. As promised, uh, I am your host, Matt Koplick. And as promised, John Wiscavage is currently lying on a hospital bed, living his best organ life. Um, no, it's not sad. It's just telling our guest today that he's posting on social media. So clearly... He's not in that much pain. We love you, John. Uh, joining us today for a very special episode of My Obsession is Broadway musical director, conductor, Patrick Selkin. Hello. Hello, Patrick. Hi, Matt. <laughs> That's Selkin, not Skulkin. Um, I do love that your last name is Selkin. They're like, do people say, Patrick, quit Selkin? Oh, absolutely. That is that is the number one thing from old people. <laughs> From anyone under the age of 30, it, it usually has to do with Patrick Starr, strangely. Like the, from Spongebob? The character from Spongebob. But you're so not him, is that the joke? I don't know. I think they hear Patrick S and their brains stop working. Mm, that would make sense. So <laughs> I do like that I made the Sulkin reference and then you're like, yes, old people. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm old an old people. Old people, like, erudite gays like us. <laughs> I am, I, I live my best life. Drinking martinis with a bunch of old women. Um, Patrick uh, was the conductor and music director, uh, associate music director for Kinky Boots, or because you guys have titles that I'm not sure what the differences are. Yes, truly. So uh, at Kinky Boots, I actually never had a full time position. Uh, well, that's I gross. subbed a lot, so I was there for weeks at a time, usually subbing for the associate music director. Um, but until that person leaves, for sure. Or leaves mm-hmm. for good. You know, I, I was a, a nebulous, kind of in the building, face without a name. I find that very homophobic. <laughs> that, but, but, you, but you made your conducting debut with Kinky Boots, correct? I did. I conducted yes. uh, Kinky Boots a couple times. Uh, have subbed on some other shows. The Such Ill, as? Uh, the ill-fated revival of Gigi. Gigi! I was at opening fucking night of Gigi. As was I. Were you? I was. Oh my god, that show. Um, what others were there? Uh, Gigi, I was a music assistant on Something Rotten. 
awesome. uh, and did some playing of rehearsals for that company. I was at Kinky Boots playing rehearsals and subbing for about two years. Mm-hmm. I subbed at Anastasia. Anastasia. Mm. Yes. Uh, and then took Journey up, to the past. Journey to the past. <laughs> took up my current position at Pretty Woman. I actually started working with them from the first reading. Mm. So beginning to end with you. Beginning to end. Yeah. End is very a very fresh wound. <laughs> so, uh, so we won't dig too deep into it then. <laughs> I'd be like, mm, so how does it feel now that it's over? Now that you don't have a job anymore, how does it mm, feel? Don't feel too bad for him. He's got jobs lined up. <laughs> how does one become a music director? What like drew you to that line of work? Uh, well, I started playing the piano at five. Mm. Uh and growing up essentially wanted to be some sort of classical musician, uh, music teacher, Mr. Holland. Uh, type. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, sleeping with my students. No, he never slept with them. He just fantasized just, oh, about truly, it. Just fell in love with her. How do you not fall in love with her, though? She's the one good singer in oh that Gershwin review. We're talking about Mr. Holland's Opus, by the way, a <laughs> lovely Richard Dreyfus movie from the 90s. So Patrick saw Mr. Holland's Opus and got all the wrong motivations from it. <laughs> yes. Wanted that. Whoa, wanted that life. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yes, so wanted to be a high school choir director, became obsessed with musical theater along the way, uh, and in college kind of blended those two worlds, was still a music education major, but mm. ended up conducting and uh, playing piano for and uh, m- music directing a lot of the shows mm. in school. Uh, that became my path of choice. I tried to do the thing where I would audition for a show once one quarter and then music direct a show the next quarter, and that kind of fell off after sophomore year. I got bored of not being the best actor. So uh, I, like, chose the that's music directing very path. fair. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's, I mean, that affects a lot of us where you're like, if I'm not going to be the best at it, why do I even do it? My mother calls me out on that all the time. I've done it since I was four years old. Like, I would play baseball and get to the level where I was like no longer the best catcher mm. and quit. Or like ran cross country. And look at you now. And look at me now. <laughs> the best catcher of them all. Oh, uh, hi, Josh. Uh, <laughs> can we keep that? We can edit that out. Yeah, we'll I fully intend to keep okay, that. Great. I, yeah, maybe listen to another episode of this, Patrick, with me and John, because if, if we don't mention bottoming once, it's not an episode of Broadway Breakdown. Okay, great. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dog. So, let's pretend that I'm very stupid. Great. Explain to me, and through me, some of our listeners, what exactly a music director does. So, uh... Let me use Pretty Woman as an example. Great. Because a music director's job uh, kind of changes as the process gets bigger and more complex. So at the very first reading of uh, Pretty Woman, I actually work with um, pop rock songwriters Mm -hmm. a bunch. So I'll just come at it from a very narrow lens. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can ask any questions that you have. But uh, Brian Adams and Jim Valance, who wrote the score to Pretty Woman... Uh, I do not believe uh, n- write music. They don't notate music. Mm. So the music director's job kind of starts 
uh, transcribing the songs from mm-hmm. the from the demos that they write, you know, writing them down into into notes and words and music and making it uh, playable by a single pianist to create wow. the very first piano vocal score. Uh, <clears throat> that goes on the stands for the first reading and the music director's job is to uh, teach the music to the actors and also work with the composers to shape it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, building dance breaks and vocal harmonies and building the songs to a... yeah building the songs into a into a piece of musical theater that mm-hmm. flows and has an arc uh and then as the show grows through readings and workshops you also collaborate with the director mm-hmm. uh shaping incidental music uh more dance breaks and as the show develops you're bringing more people onto the music team mm-hmm. uh so a typical tree, I guess, of a music team is the music supervisor at the top who uh, really is just the wrangler of all the people that f- fall beneath him. Usually they play God. Yes, like- absolutely. Music supervisor uh, often doubles as the orchestrator. Not always. Um, the orchestrator takes the piano vocal and writes it for all of the instruments in the pit. Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes there's a dance arranger who will work directly with the choreographer. Um, there are a couple people in the city that really uh, are known for their dance arrangings. David Chase and Sam Davis and David Dabin. Um, sometimes there's a, a separate vocal arranger like Anne-Marie Malazzo. Uh, and then just the conducting staff. Uh, there is the conductor who waves his or her arms uh, every night. Usually they have an associate who will play keyboard two and sub in conducting whenever they're not there. Sometimes there's a keyboard three assistant, so a third person in line. Uh, And often at the bottom of the chain, quote unquote, is the music assistant who does all of the logistical work, uh, keeping up the notation files and keeping everybody in order. That's usually a, a fresh out of college yeah, for, that's things that you had done. Uh, absolutely, it's very, very, very sensible. Moving on, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, we'll trim some of this out just to get oh, yeah, to totally. what your obsession is. Because the point of this episode, Patrick, is that you're obsessed with something. I am obsessed with a lot of things, mm-hmm. uh, but most specifically for the purposes of this podcast, uh, the musical Susical. Thank you, Jesus. Written by uh, Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty, mm-hmm. uh, two of Broadway's greatest. I would say the king and queen. Yeah, I mean, if not the king and queen, at least prince and princess. But yeah, I would probably say king and queen. They are the modern day uh, Compton and Green, except they also write music. Absolutely. Whereas Compton and Green were just lyrics. Just lyrics. Well, and books. And, book. and yes. books sometimes, yeah. Um, which, uh, Lynn Aaron's only, she only did the book for Once on this Island, right? I don't think she ever did a book after that. You know, I unless cannot Seuss- speak intelligently on that. Unless, I guess, I guess for they, I think they are credited book and lyrics because it's sung through. Yeah. Um, Conception is credited to Eric Idle. Okay, so we have him. Thank you, Eric Idle. Yes. Uh, how did you come to get to know Seussical the Musical? So, uh, I have a, have a very Peggy Sawyer past in that I am from the middle of nowhere in Ohio. 
okay. uh, with big Broadway dreams. So my access to musical theater came through literally the public library and their CD collection. Who fell down for you to get your shot? <laughs> that's that's the Peggy Sawyer well, story that no one talks about. That we can cut out of the episode. <laughs> There's a reason why Eric Stern's no longer on Broadway. Patrick Sulkin pushed him down a flight of fucking stairs. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping that shit. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> uh, public library is how you got your musical theater Broadway dreams in your little gay brain. In my little gay brain. And m- my mother, who had two musical theater obsessions, uh, The Phantom of the Opera and A Chorus Line, two CDs that uh, were in the car, I believe from the day I was born until I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I can sing them note perfect, word perfect, just oh, yeah. because my mom never stops listening to them. Uh, that was that initially turned me on, and then I just periodically uh, went through my library CD collection, found Seussical, absolutely fell in love with it. Oh, yeah. um, later wrote Lynn and Steve a fan letter Ooh. when I was in fifth grade, uh, half telling them how much I loved Seussical, half asking them to play JoJo on the national tour. <laughs> that's That's how... Everyone books national tours just writing to them. These castmates. Yeah, you write the composers. Um, They actually sent about six months later because I sent it to their old agent at like WME and who Mm. forwarded it to their new agent at Gersh, which she explained to me in the letter and my fifth grade brain did not understand and Mm. now is wild to me. (laughs) Uh, They were so kind. saying like i don't know if you you know our other work but you might want to look into ragtime or once on this island or my favorite year or the film anastasia the best part about being i love that they that did they actually throw in my favorite year or did you just throw that in i just threw that okay i'll say that like that that's them taking advantage of an 11 year old by saying like you want to check out my favorite year i swear it's good yes it's not good oh it has my heart though does it it I really mean, does. Is it just because of Larger Than Life? Is that why? Yeah. It's. I mean, that's a good song. Mm-hmm. The, the album really has my heart. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Listen, we all have our things. Everyone on this podcast, Lord knows they know how much I love Smile, but like, <laughs> we all have our things. We that's all have fine. our things. We all have our things. And and my junk is Susical. Seussical was only on Broadway for four months, I believe. Something like that. It wasn't quite like a one-week bomb, but it, yeah, I think it was maybe four or five months. Yeah, so something around around t- just shy of two hundred performances, I believe. Yeah, it was definitely under that. So a fall opening and a and a and a late spring closing, I believe. Yes. They closed around the Tony Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, because they brought in. This is how we're going to get even further into this because you brought this up earlier. Uh, they brought in Rosie O'Donnell to spike ticket sales. Yes. And uh, I guess she did because they lasted. Um, yeah. Yeah. When I saw it, she had left. I saw Kathy Rigby, who was delightful. Um, and the rest of the original company, uh, plus Aaron Carter. So it was, if you if there was one way to see Seussical, it was the way I saw it. Absolutely. To get Aaron Carter, but also to get Jean LaManna and Michelle Pock. Uh, Michelle Pock on that album. Wow. Mm-hmm. It and funny. Uh, there are some some uh, ar- archives available on the internet mm-hmm. if if you were and if you're to to watch that. Uh, Michelle Pock is giving such an incredible performance, mm-hmm. um, th- and that you could tell kind of 
had had life and breath in it. You know, mm-hmm. I could tell that the the archive that I saw was was very different from the performance that had happened before and <laughs> was going to happen the next night. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not to say that everyone else wasn't doing phenomenal work because they were. Kevin Chamberlain giving the most soulful, simple, beautiful performance. That, Dropped in, grounded, yeah. That you can really hear on the album. That's mm-hmm. why I think it's such a, a magical thing that really brought me into the world of the show and of Aaron's and Flaherty in general. I, I think they did a really good job of uh, translating the performances to the album. Mm. Um, you know, Sharon Wilkins, like, big beautiful like earth mama voice oh yeah just shaking you to your core absolutely um one of the things i've always been obsessed with and i didn't know who she was for the longest time and then uh when i saw avenue q and i made the connection that this was her and harada as the bailiff as the bailiff her solo this is the case of the people versus horn the elephant her <laughs> her voice on that is so Good. Uh, Judge Yoda the turtle reside in everyone. Rise. Ah. Uh, that might have been the moment that I turned gay. This is the case of the people versus Horn the Elephant. Later in life, I have discovered that the ensemble of Suzical was just like filled with stars. Oh, yeah. And Casey Nicola was Casey in the ensemble. Nicola. Uh, I th- believe it was his last uh, Broadway show as a performer. Um, or Millie. Millie. Millie, Millie was, yeah. right after. Uh, he went out on a high note. He's yes. like, this cannot be my last performance. Correct. <laughs> These four months can't define me. <laughs> in a shaggy purple faux elephant thing at you, the Circus McGurkis. Oh my god, yeah, those those costumes were interesting. Insane. So, yeah. ensemble stacked. Yeah. Design team also stacked yeah um but big drama oh yeah uh out of town tryout in boston disaster uh, disaster Complete disaster uh frank Galati, director mm-hmm. Catherine zuber costumes natasha katz lights uh, uh eugene lee eugene sets. lee sets almost everyone replaced for broadway mm-hmm. uh frank Galati uncredited rob ashford was uh nope no no no, no. rob marshall yes, rob was marshall brought on yes. uh, as an uncredited director his sister kathleen uh had always been the choreographer her best friend and roommate rob ashford was the associate choreographer uh william ivy long was brought on to do the costumes uh i believe someone was brought on t- uh, uncredited uh to fix quote unquote the set yeah um i think they mostly uh just simplified uh, because the Broadway set actually isn't all that impressive. It's a lot of open space. Yes, truly. Um, yeah. It's uh, also th- uh, the first time they presented Susical, and the reason why it had the backing it had was because they did a workshop production, like in a black box theater with a cast of 10, and Andrea Martin was the cat in the hat. Mm-hmm. And they, all they had was like a ladder and some like handmade uh, ha- uh, handmade props. And everybody's like, this is brilliant. This is amazing. Let's throw $15 million at it. Yes. And uh, that's where the problem started. Yeah. And actually some superstar producers, uh, Fran and Barry Weisler, mm-hmm. now of Chicago and Waitress. Um, Hal Luftig as an associate producer, now lead producer of Kinky Boots and Becoming Nancy. Um, and speaking of Jerry Mitchell. Speaking of Jerry Mitchell. Uh, so that initial reading was in uh, Toronto, kind of produced with Livent. Uh, now uh, 
convict Garth Drabinsky was in charge, mm. um, who Aaron's and Flaherty had a long relationship with, with Ragtime, yes. obviously. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, and there was such buzz around that little production. Mm-hmm. And I and I believe it was mostly the same cast other than Andrea Martin. That, that I think that's true, yes. Yeah, replaced by... Uh, David Did, Shiner, yes, famous clown, mm-hmm. truly with, clown, true, true clown, <laughs> not derogatory. Yeah, with, no, with 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 Bill Irwin. Yeah. They Bill Irwin, uh, Tony winning actor, uh, became famous for his clowning with David Shiner. They were a duo act. Yeah. They had a play called Full Moon, I believe. Um, and yeah, it uh, they exploded from there. But Bill Irwin f- became more of a re. I don't say real actor. I don't want to. I don't want to talk down to their clowning. Oh no, no, uh, talents. But Bill Irwin transitioned into stage acting and text-based acting. Yes, a little e- more easily, easily, more easily. That's the right word. More easily, easily. That doesn't yes. sound like it should be the but right. But I word. think it is right. Yeah, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> more easily than uh, Shiner did. Yes. Um, but Shiner was the original cat in the head on the on the Broadway. On not, the Broadway. For, not for long. He got replaced pretty quickly by Rosie. Yeah, so I believe he was in it for a, a couple months. Mm-hmm. And then to boost ticket sales, they brought in Rosie, who, uh, for all intents and purposes, had to reinvent the role because mm-hmm. his... Uh, his act was so clowny and so transformative and so uh, physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosie's obviously a very verbal comedian yes. um, and such a personality that obviously keys had to be changed for Rosie. Uh, and t- she kind of did a, a like a yuck, yuck performance, like yeah. really interacting with the audience. And I don't know if uh, that was the Broadway performance of David as well and how much audience interaction, but there was a lot of like, making fun of the person in the front row mm-hmm. and making a Les Mis reference and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, and you saw Kathy Rigby in the role. I did. How did that transform from Rosie to Kathy? Well, so I, to- I, so I told you before we were recording, uh, I did happen to f- come upon a bootleg of Rosie and, and watched a little bit of it because I've always been fascinated by that. Uh, Rosie definitely had like a very dry New Yorker attitude in the role which like was fun uh but she definitely was not physical like mostly just kind of sat and stood Correct. um yes to not dance not do anything uh you know play to your strengths kathy rugby was very physical i remember the opening so oh the things you can think one of my favorite opening numbers of all time and i'm not being like a little shit about it it's very true yeah, absolutely they can um, write an opening number those two. Oh yes their opening <laughs> numbers are great um well my favorite year again you I've, have such I just, I've done a lot of numbers from that show for like other classes and whatnot, and I'm, and I'm always just sort of like it's not as good as I want it to be. It's very early work of it, theirs. Oh yeah, I mean it was like it's because it's it, a lot of it's supposed to be very funny, and it's not. I don't find it very funny. Uh, there's literally a song called "Funny," yes. and it's I find it the opposite of that. Oh. Uh, accordion lessons. Bah. Um, speaking of Andrew Martin. Uh, Anywho, uh, the opening set piece was like a giant vortex, like a colorful vortex was the y- opening yes, image. Yes, with like an eye hole yes, in the middle. Which Catherine we popped out of. And then when she said, uh, no, there's no telling what, but I'll give you a clue. She tumbled out of it. So, like, Rosie slid, and I don't oh, know what yes. David Shiner did, but, like, Kathy Rigby full-on did, like, a gymnastic tumble. Wow. And then, like, flipped onto <gasps> the stage. Yes. Yes, a lot of that. That's everything. Oh, yeah. She was very physical. She was surprisingly, like, 
uh, versatile in her personas and whatnot. She, I remember her as the German doctor was very funny. And then there's a plot line. For those of you that don't know Seussical, it's about... Hmm. Um, I, I, I bet we could do it together. Okay. It's sort of like a kid version of Grand Hotel when you think about it. Lots of plot lines all intersecting. Oh, and that's true. And it's quite dark at times. Yes, there, there are two main plot lines. Um, yes. One, uh, Horton the Elephant of Horton Hears a Who fame. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to do that for the rest of the characters. <laughs> that, that would be... <laughs> of, of this book fame. Of yes, this story that would be sure. much too much. No, we'll um, that, uh, is chillin' in the in the jungle of Newell. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the heat of the day, the cool of the pool. Yeah, he was splashing, splash, enjoying the jungle's great choice. Uh, Sarah Gettlefinger. <laughs> yes. And Natasha Diaz, bird ladies. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, there's actually, so we'll continue the plot in a second. I haven't watched the official video at Lincoln Center Library, but apparently the day that they were filming it, one of them, I think it's Natasha Diaz, they because you're you're told when it's going to be filmed, yes, um, and everyone gets a little bonus in their paycheck that week because it's part of equity stipulations. Um, Natasha Diaz apparently for an exit decided to do like a very dramatic flourish that she had never done before, and apparently like face planted because of it, <gasps> and it's on there forever. Oh no, that is that, I haven't seen it yet, but that is what I've been told is that like she tried to do something with her hand as she was going off stage to like <gasps> make a lasting impression and just. Mm-hmm bombed at it and that's what you do that's what you get for ad-libbing yeah that's you gotta stick to the staging and the script especially when it's being preserved yes there's a reason why it's being preserved do your show yeah (laughs) anyway uh so yes horton splashing splash splashing splash uh hears a noise Mm -hmm. from a speck of dust uh puts it on a clover Mm -hmm. uh the speck of dust is the uh tiny planet of who Mm -hmm. uh of which the young boy and thinker jojo lives on he is the son of the mayor and his wife and jojo is constantly getting into trouble for having too many thinks he thinks too much yes so tragically his parents send him to military school mm-hmm. scared uh, straight which is so intense it is um and on top of that horton uh is ridiculed by everyone in his jungle for claiming that a speck of dust can talk because everyone says well we can't hear it we can't see it so therefore it must not exist yeah so truly the next plot point really happens in the middle of act two uh Mm. when you see jojo at war and we think that jojo has died Mm -hmm. um his parents are sad guess what jojo didn't actually die no um and Horton is put on trial by his peers for... Uh, disrupting the peace. Disrupting the peace. And loitering on, on an, an egg. egg. Because, well, so then... We, well, we, now we got to go back to Act 1, because there are two other plot points that we haven't discussed. But I feel like they're ancillary. What? <laughs> ancillary. They're, what? Because they're women, Patrick? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I've forgotten all about Gertrude and Maisie. No, yeah, no, that's no. what continue, I'm talking continue. about, bitch. Go ahead. <laughs> God, throwing them women's under the buses. Um, There is a character named Gertrude McFuzz, who is played by Janine Lamana, who gave one of the most underrated performances in a musical up there with Sally Murphy and Carousel. Like, top five most underrated for me 
in all of musical Absolutely. theater. Um, she greatly uh, cares for Horton. She's the only one who believes him, but she thinks that Horton doesn't pay attention to her because she just has one tiny little feather of a tail. Yeah, a teeny little feather. So she goes to a doctor by the urgings of Michelle Pox, uh, Maisie LaBird, who is a beautiful, selfish bird with the grandest of tails. Uh, she goes to a doctor to take some pills, gets a giant tail... Uh, but then when Horton gets kidnapped by hunters, she can't save him because her tail is too heavy. And Horton gets kidnapped by hunters because he agrees to help Maisie LaBird out and sit on her egg for her for a while because she uh, is too selfish and wants too much fun to sit on an egg for all that time it takes to hatch an egg. Yes. And now we have to take the, the detour where... Uh that I believe the show should not have taken, uh, which is the Circus McGurgis, which is a 12-minute sequence at the top of Act 2, where we see all of the circus animals, and, and, uh, you know, Horton is essentially... The The star attraction. Yeah, the Violet and Daisy of Sideshow. Um, (laughs) Same theater, too. The Rogers. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for knowing it was the Rogers. Oh, of course. Oh, my God. I feel so seen today. If John were opposite of me, he would just be like, of course, you know that, and roll his eyes and we move on. <laughs> yes, sure. Thanks, John. We love you. We love you, John. Get better. Uh... So he's put on trial from the circus uh, in in later iterations in, in the national tour version and what is now licensed by MTI. The circus McGurkis is gagan. Yes, there are like four versions of Susical that MTI licenses. I do believe. Yeah, I believe it's it's like Kids Junior. Yeah, there's there's the Kids Junior. There's the one act version. There's the theater for young audiences version. Um, and then I think there's a full two act version. Yes, but even in the two act version, Circus McGurkis is gone. Is gone as they- is. Uh, the war with Butterside Up is that also cut or is that still there? I I, I am not quite sure. Mm. There's there's a framing device in the in the two act version that's licensed. Yes, where JoJo opens the show now. Yes, JoJo is is an unnamed boy until the Cat in the Hat throws him into uh, the story. I'm which... not here for that. I'm not here for that. Six characters in search of an author. Bullshit in my Seussical. Honestly, like every show that I saw in college had a framing device. Um, it was a very intellectual, director-driven thing. And I don't need my Seussical to have it. No. Why must everything have a framing device, Patrick? Hashtag not my Seussical. No. <laughs> you know, I think that's what was missing from Gigi was a framing device. It would have run. Yeah, more it would have run. Because I think, well, I think Eric Schaefer, no shade thrown but i think eric schaefer heard the term framing device and used it literally and was like well the eiffel tower will frame the stage i'm like that's not what we mean by a framing device eric schaefer claim set was gorge it was a very pretty set yeah um and then i also remember uh scarlett stralin was that her name the one who played the slutty girl stephanie lee stephanie lee i get those two confused all the damn time stephanie lee played the slutty girl that Corey cott liked yes leanne man it's played by jaja gabor in the movie um oh wow have you ever seen the movie Gigi? i haven't i'm bad you're i'm bad at not seeing movies that my shows are based on yeah or any movies what truly we could play a game that you can cut out but any movie that you think (laughs) me as a 28 year old gay man should have seen i'm going to have seen none of them okay well, there's also, there's my opinion of what gay men should see, and then there's, like, <laughs> what everyone else thinks. Yes. Like, I've made it very open that I think uh, Little Mermaid is the most LGBTQ Disney movie of all time, and everyone comes to me about it, and I'm like, no, you're you're wrong. And Ursula I, is divine. She is divine, yeah, but yeah. the whole movie's about how a parent understands that their child's road to happiness is different from their own. 
Honestly, yeah. if you really think about it, that, that's a deep dive. Not really, because the last scene of the movie is all about King Triton finally accepting Ariel. The last spoken line of the movie is Ariel to her father after she gets married, saying, "I love you, Daddy." Wow. Yeah. You should I see. It. You should remember. watch it again. I should watch it again. It also it's the beginning of the Disney Renaissance formula of the outsider. Here's our society. Here's our outsider who doesn't fit in, and then like finding a compromise between society and our outsider by the end of it. Yes. Oh, Belle in the provincial town. Yes, Simba like sh- shying away from th- from responsibility. Aladdin being a street rat. Blah 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 blah. That's truly Mulan's Mulan. like I'm not a bride. Pocahontas. Pocahontas is like I don't know what river to take. You know what I'm talking Can about? Get, yeah, Hercules is an orphan. Hercules is an orphan and he also ha- a demigod. He wants to go to the distance. Yep. Mulan wants to find her reflection. Mm-hmm. Pocahontas wants to go around the river bend. Aladdin wants to stay one jump ahead of the breadline. <laughs> And Belle just thinks that there must be more than this provincial life. Yes. And Ariel wants to be where the people are. I, truly, all the I Want songs, and bringing it back to Suzical, I don't believe that Suzical has a proper... <laughs> How dare you come back to the topic <laughs> How at How dare hand. I? I don't believe it has a proper I Want song. No, it doesn't. Because there's... Is this just everything... Well, I guess you could say Alone in the Universe is like an unconditional lo- yes. I Want song. Yeah. Because um, it's not about what... It's not about so much what either character wants, because they don't know what it is that they want. It's just about what the world is denying them. And then at the end, they realize that they need each other, because all they needed was someone to listen to them. Yeah, yeah. We kind of intuit. They they actually don't state what they want. No. Uh, nobody knows that I have wings. I can fly. Mm-hmm. So they're craving that person who does. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know... Unlike a traditional musical, they get get that at the end of the song yeah. in, in each other. And it's halfway through Act 1, actually, maybe even three quarters into Act 1, that that song yeah. happens. It's flipping the formula on its head. Yeah. Seussical breaking boundaries. Re-listening to Seussical, I tr- realize that it is like the hero's journey. It's it's mm. Odysseus. It's it's um, the, the Wizard of Oz, which like kind of is dramatically inert in, in and of itself. It is a person that like... Oh, yeah. does a bunch of things and faces a lot of challenges and oh, it, it like a video game level they mm-hmm. just overcome the challenge and then another challenge uh which is why sometimes when you listen to Suzical or read the libretto it, in a traditional musical where you would cut a song that doesn't directly impact the plot there are a lot of songs that you would cut <laughs> absolutely um, like the Marsha Milgram Dodge reworking that I think is now the one act version yes um which went on a national tour is like 85 minutes long <laughs> and I have not seen it, but it is, I'm sure just like streamlined. It's you got Horton, you got Jojo, you got Gertrude. There's nobody else. Yeah. Nobody else. Which does, would that mean she cut amazing Maisie? I, I hope, hope not. That song is like top five for me. I also weirdly love Maisie and Palm Beach. <laughs> it's just such a great diversion. And it comes back to Horton being in the circus, the circus. I love his show. Mm. I, I think, think I'll go. go. Um, I back in my YouTube web series days when I was doing Bacon It, uh, Alex Boniello came on and I found out that Michelle Pock was one of his teachers. And he turns to the camera, she goes, "Yes, Tony winner Michelle Pock." And I went, "Maisie La Bird, Michelle Pock. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you invoke the Tony?" And she also plays the uh, the Nazi prostitute in Cabaret. Which I just said like I was British. Cabaret. Cabaret. Uh, that was... Fr- 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 Fr-
<gasps> oh. Look at you knowing the name. Uh, yeah, the in the Natasha Richardson cast album, she's the one who goes, Hey, Ludwig, you're not oh. going on so early. Yeah, and also she doubles as one of the Kit Kat girls. Um, oh God, Fritzy, the one where she likes, she, the <laughs> slutty one. Which one. Well, you knew cost. Well, they're all slutty. They're all, well, the one who like squats down and he's like, Stop doing that. We lose shit. We lost three waiters and a bottle of champagne up there. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. That's one. Yes, because she's so loose, people. Uh-huh. That's, I am making the that's implication. A yes, it's a giant vagina joke, literally. Uh, Susical. <laughs> Susical. I'm, I'm ruminating on Michelle Pock's career to have been branded just like the kind of loose woman in so many shows. Yeah. Hello again. Um, she even was Donna for a while in Mamma Mia. Talk about loose women. Whoa. Very short time. Apparently the gift was starting to lose her by the time she did Mamma Mia and she was gone pretty soon. Oh, which interesting. Which is a shame because mm-hmm. in her heyday she could have torn that role to pieces. Well, yes. And Michelle, I don't believe is a is a dancer dancer. No. Having seen videos of, of Susical, Janine is a dancer dancer yeah. was nikki in the sweet charity revival mm-hmm. uh w- replaced lois to- lane lois lane in in the kiss me kate revival in the 99 so i don't know if that was before kiss me kate was before susical um but sweet charity was after susical i can tell you that with full authority not the christina applegate no the- she's in the christina applegate sweet oh charity. really so she replaced oh. Bringing back to Susical, she replaced Natasha Diaz in that Christina Applegate Sweet Charity. Oh. Um, because that tea there was they, so they went out of town. Everybody, I, I'm assuming people who listen to this pod know that story, which is they were in Milwaukee first, and Christina Applegate broke her ankle or broke her foot, and they had to go to Boston next, and they weren't sure if they were going to bring it to Broadway or not. There was a time where uh, Charlotte Demois came in like last minute to replace Christina Applegate for Boston. They then said, we're going to bring it to Broadway. Then they said, no. Then Christina Applegate's like, no, I'll just do it with a boot. So they brought it to Broadway anyway. Um, but Natasha Diaz was Nikki in Milwaukee and in Boston. But she and the girl who was playing Helene kept stealing the show. And so they got replaced. And Janine Lamana and uh, somebody else. It's Janine. It's Janine Lamana, right? Not Janine Devita. Lamana. Lamana. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a there's a Janine Devita in the Broadway world as well, and I always get them. Mm. Because how many women are named Janine? Yeah. Them and and Janine Desori, but she spells it differently. Yes. (laughs) Um, uh, Thank you for laughing. This is why I'm happy to have you here. Oh, yes. Literally, all this shit that I'm saying today, John would just be like, stop it. He's like, don't you ever turn it off? Um, No is the answer. No is the answer. Uh, But yeah, no, they replaced them because they were stealing the show. And then when they brought it to Broadway, Christine Applegate couldn't dance. So something better than this became Janine Lamana and whoever played Helene dancing instead of Christine Applegate. She like sat there and watched. Dancing around her? Yeah. Stupid. Bizarre. Bizarre. And then Charlotte Demoz would come on sometimes because she was the standby for Broadway and she was like, Can I just do it can with I, him? Yes, like, please, can I dance? Can I just dance, please? Uh, um, but yeah, no, Janine Lamana, dancer, dancer. Um, and I think even had a couple of kicks in there in Susical. Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. Because Gertrude didn't have like any dance numbers. No, it's mostly her alone yeah. on stage. Yes, but her. her her outfit, though, was a dancer outfit. She wore a yes. tiny blue dress that barely covered her vagina. Yes. <laughs> For a kid's show, there were some sexual costumes. Yes. Like, the Wickersham Brothers are, like, go-go boys? And, yeah, and sh- shredded, like, talk about, you know, gay epiphanies. Right. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Like watching that show. That the Rogers had some gay ass shows in there. It had Sideshow with those belting ladies, mm-hmm. followed by Susa, uh, followed by Footloose with a bunch of nineties butt boys, and then it had Susical with the Wickersham brothers. Like it's just it's gay, gay, gay. Yes, and well, D. Hody is the star of Footloose. D. Hody, first of all. Jennifer Laura Thompson is the star of Footloose. No, you're mistaken. How <laughs> Dehoney is the star of Dehody everything is that she's Tony in. is the Tony nominee of Footloose. <laughs> I know that. I'm aware of that. <laughs> um, but Jennifer Laura Thompson is the star of Footloose, in my opinion. Yeah, just my to- mind got blown when I was like, I'm sorry. She was Ariel in Footloose and Julie Jordan in Carousel, like literally back to back. She was so she was Julie Jordan on the national tour of Carousel. Wow. She talked so. All the things that I know about that production of Carousel will blow your mind. The the Nick Heitner? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the the good one, not the one that just played. Um, it's, no, that is not scandalous. No, Everyone no, no, knows that production was shit. I'm thrilled that Lindsay Mendez is a Tony winner. I wish it was for something else. <laughs> but the, the the Heitner is truly like a top yeah two. It's Strokelahoma and the Heitner Carousel are the only two revivals that matter in my brain. Yeah, ever. I mean th- those are very true. Well, no, no one's gonna do Carousel as well as that Heitner one, and everyone knows it. So like it's why we all kind of just go, don't revive it again. You're not gonna do any better. Mm-hmm. But Lauren Ward of Violet and Matilda fame was the understudy Julie Jordan on Broadway. Oh. She's one of the tap dancing bearded ladies uh, in the opening. And I found that out because I ran into her at a restaurant once with my dad while Matilda was on Broadway. And it was, they, we were both closing the restaurant and I got very drunk and I sat down. And I was like, I know you're in Carousel. Oh my God. And she's like, I was a bearded lady. And I was like, tell me more. <laughs> um, <laughs> we just talked, and Linda Eman was there. We just talked about Carousel for 10 minutes. And oh. she's like, well, you know that Sally Murphy's Linda Eman's neighbor, right? I was like, I didn't. Tell me more. <laughs> tell um, me all about it. Tell me all, tell me all about it, stud. And, uh, the national tour, Sarah, you're right, Barry was, or you're righty, Sarah, you're right, Barry is how you say her name, yes. right? Yeah, she was Julie Jordan on the tour opposite okay. Patrick Wilson. Um, and then Jennifer Laura Thompson was in the ensemble and replaced Sarah, you're right, Barry on the tour as Julie Jordan. Wow. Mm-hmm. Some big ass divas have played that role. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. But Jennifer Laura Thompson, in my mind, is the star of Footloose. But you can have Dee I'll let you have her. Okay, yes. yes. Just to speak about, like, very gay things. Oh, and Catherine Cox of Baby fame. Oh, yeah. Don't she- even get me started on Baby, but... We can talk there's about not, Baby. There's not time. There's not time in the world for Baby. Yes. Why hasn't Encores done Baby yet? I don't know. They're, they're doing perfect. fucking Millie, but they won't do Baby. Right. That's the- why Jack Fertel's leaving. Yes. <laughs> Everyone on the board was like, no, this is bullshit. There was that paper mill production of Baby that like yeah. had some had some traction, and I, and I think it became inert for some reason, you yeah. know, in the way that all shows become inert. Absolutely. So, I mean, it was back. It was also back in the day when paper mill like, wasn't really transferring shows yet, so no one took it right. seriously. Did you just do some yoga in front of me? I just did, like, a big old stretch, you know? <laughs> it was great. Uh, just talking about Baby and stretching yes. your wings and your <laughs> arms. Uh, speaking of wings, you know who has wings? Jojo. He can fly. Um, <laughs> Great segue. Listen, you've been bringing us back on topic so much. I need to do the same you thing. You need to do it. Yes. Um, correct. So, Horton gets put on trial for sitting on an egg, disturbing the peace. Wow, we took a huge tangent. Oh my god, yeah. And I'm not cutting a goddamn man in the video. It's all fucking gold. It's gold. Um, And Gertrude comes to like his defense, and 
they decide in the court that the speck of dust that that Horton's been protecting as well, they're going to boil it in oil, which I think is a little extreme considering it's a speck of dust. Right, and he gets sent to an insane, or they sentence him to an insane asylum. Yes, they do. But before any of that happens, finally Jojo of Whoville, the Who's finally like, Jojo, think of something. We need to be heard because the Who's can't get themselves heard. And finally, little thinker gay Jojo shouts, Yop, which I think... He meant to shout top. <laughs> he was shouting for a top. Then he'd be heard. Because <laughs> he he put the who in whoer is what I'm saying about <laughs> about Miss Jojo. About, about, let me tell you about Miss Jojo. Oh, that's a good drag name, Miss Jojo. Miss Jojo. Miss Jojo. Yes. Searching for a yop. Uh, yep. Oh my god! <laughs> what a niche thing that like I would absolutely attend that drag show and no one else. Patrick, I think you and you and Michael Bello would come too. Yeah, Mike Bello and I have uh, a, a fake drag act that we don't actually do, but um, he well, I have two drag names and Mike has one, and his would be Izzy Rich, and I would be Jesse Is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. And we would just sing "Bosom Buddies" over and over and over oh, again. Lord. And then my other one, my solo show, is "Tearaway Pants." <laughs> Tearaway tear pants. Yeah, great. Thank you. Love it, it. It takes people a minute sometimes, <laughs> but um, maybe I'll do another one as Miss Jojo, and I'll I'll curate it with you. Yes, yes. <laughs> we will do all of Susan like a a two queen musical, a two queen musical. But we have to do it with like I don't know, um, intercut with like random. All, all, you know what? It's, this is how we're going to get you to watch Drop Dead Gorgeous. We're going to intercut it with all this dialogue from Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh. So it's going to be talking to a speck, talking to a speck, to a speck of dust. Cut with Allison Janney. Do you think a nice cool mint would help if I shoved your head up your ass? Oh, I'm yeah. into it. I, mm-hmm. Also, I have to watch Drop Dead Gorgeous you like, do. tonight. I also have an idea for a drag act where I sing The Winner Takes It All, intercut with Audra McDonald's Tony speeches. <laughs> oh, that would like kill it, Pete Down. I think it would. Anyway, anyway. Oh. Jojo, Jojo shouts for a top. People must hear him, and he and they think he says yop, and and they all realize that there are people on the spec on mm-hmm. the clover after all. And everyone comes together very quickly, mm-hmm. like within thirty-two bars. The sour kangaroo is apologizing. I mean, that's a staple in a lot of musical theater, though. Like those kids in the prom went from homophobic to allies when a hot pivot turn. Oh yes, we we all. Uh, forgive Curly for literal murder over the course of a two-minute scene. Oh, yeah. Um, we've and, Well, and more than that, we forgive him for mind-fucking Judd into contemplating suicide for a whole scene. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We, we forgive a lot of musical theater if you can sing well. If, if you can sing well and, and the writers have but five minutes before the end of the show. <laughs> exactly. Conclusions come pretty quickly. Exactly. Especially when you add that framing device and you gotta close that shit up. Yes. And then the egg that Horton's on hatches, and it's an elephant bird, and he raises it with Gertrude, because even though they're different species, they love each other, and they can give that bir- that elephant bird a good home. Y- yes, the end. And then they sing maybe the best curtain call number ever, uh, other than Cooties. Uh, is Co- Cooties isn't the curtain call number for Hairspray, is it? It's not. It's the end of the album, so I have never seen Hairspray No, you're Hairspray thinking about... 
ba, uh, blood oh, on the pavement. Yes. What a mess. Yes. No, that, that's a cut song from Hairspray, and I hate that I know that. Cooties is Amber's uh, talent song opposite Tracy. Oh, okay. Tracy Turnblad, this one's for you. I memorize a lot of basic bitch blonde tracks because I will never play them, and it's all I wanted to. Yes. No one will let me do it. Yeah. Well, as my knowledge of musical theater comes from cast albums, I just assume cut songs at the end are the finale of the curtain call number. <laughs> it's it's a talent of mine. That but, is fucking funny. <laughs> but Green Eggs and Ham is the curtain call number of Susical. It's, it's great. What is So what is your ultimate favorite, most played song from that cast album? Uh opening number great definitely uh biggest blame fool Mm -hmm. it's i think biggest blame fool was my like entry into into the gospel musical theater into a you know at that time this stephen flaherty did the vocal arranging Mm -hmm. but that turned into my obsession with stephen remus's vocal arrangements which are all gospel inspired i mean i think that opening number of color purple is just directly inspired by biggest blame fool yeah (laughs) it's sunday morning Biggest playing fool. Chocolate new. I was known to like fuck with uh, and alone in the universe when I was a child auditioning for community theater. Sensible. Sensible. At least you weren't doing who will buy like that or where is love that that kept you away from the rest of the crowds. Oh yeah, I was the the only boy auditioning in in <laughs> Fosteria, Ohio for anything. So I booked all the leads. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, but just like Little League, as soon as you got... <laughs> as soon as someone was better, I quit it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, those are those are top two. I mean, I actually think Susical, in looking back, was something that led me in the direction of of noticing me, like the music side, uh, or the technical side of the music in musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those, like really colorful Doug Besterman orchestrations, mm-hmm. which are actually really well preserved on the album. They are. Um, I was like, oh, I can I can hear the reed players. I can hear the, the, that like, those synth patches. Um, the balance is really good. Yeah. Um, it's one of the last cast recordings I can think of also where the percussion sounds as rich as it probably was in the theater. Mm-hmm. One thing that bugs me, and I... I've been getting on my soapbox about this with cast albums lately. I'm a whore for percussion. I love a mm-hmm. deep drum beat. Yes. Um, and I find that uh, cast recordings now uh, favor shallower drum beats. I guess because it's, it's crisper, it's cleaner. It comes up, maybe it comes off better on a cast album now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some. There are just some shows where, like in the theater, the the percussion is just so. I don't know. I I keep, I keep coming back to deep, but. You know, we're talking about yapping and and whores. It just yes. it all falls into it. Um, there's like there's like a, a reverberance. Yeah. Um. And and most of those cast albums were recorded acoustically in big rooms. You know, like yeah. the big power station room or like Demena, which is just like an enormous room, uh, where you get the the echoes and the reverberance mm. uh, from kind of all of the instruments. Mm. Uh, that like ambient, uh, ineffable thing that comes from a big room that most cast albums now just for for money purposes you know people are tracked at different times in tiny studios so uh your drummer is sequestered away Mm. in a soundproof booth where it the sound doesn't have room to grow so that's where that like shallow 
this is coming from how dare you bring science into this i, I was know, just giving an opinion oh no but but you know what i mean when i say that though then uh because it's not like a jazzy deep percussion with musical but it's but there is some reverberation to it um, yeah and that is something that i adore mm. and i wish we could get back a little bit um because it's just i don't know it's um like i mean you say you know all of chorus line back to back there's a the drumming in the third part of hello 12 hello 13 hello love that bada, bada. i just i it's, you just listen to it and you're like mm. Mm. <laughs> yes okay 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 like you understand now why jojo shouted yop you're like mm, yop. <laughs> that is that i think should be every gay man's reaction to anything they find good in musical theater from now yop. on yop queen yop oh my god Let's title that. That's the title of the episode. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I could do that. I know. <laughs> whatever. It's whatever. It's my fucking podcast. <gasps> Let's go back to Theusical and try to wrap up that so we can make this a fulfilling episode for yes. listeners and for yourself so you can feel like you came here to actually yes. do something. An arc. And not just talk about... Drop Dead Gorgeous. Drop Dead Gorgeous <laughs> and Dehody. Yes. Um, although we could talk about Dehody. Um, so when you talk about your obsession with Theusical, like, I mean, you've proven to know quite a good deal about it. And I'm very impressed because when people say, oh, I'm obsessed with this, it usually starts with the show itself like in terms of the plot and the people who are in it and like end it there but you know like some of the history you know the afterwards I, all that good stuff yes i have um the things that i really loved for just heart reasons mm-hmm. as a child i have grown to love kind of intellectually now mm-hmm. that i'm an, an adult and and i'm like in the industry i'm kind of a uh, not a scholar that sounds so stupid but uh it is the word you know i love investigating those things mm-hmm. um i'm also a nerd and then i just when i go to see a show i dive directly to the the back tiny credits page to mm-hmm. look at who the associate costume designer is and if i can make a connection between that and like their broadway debut as a designer and um oh, the stories are great yes yeah uh like on musical i think peter halinski was the was on the sound team uh who won the tony this year maybe but for designed, sound for, for sound yeah uh no he did not design hadestown but was nominated twice for king kong and beetlejuice maybe but uh was a sound designer of frozen and something rotten and i'm, not, I'm gonna take your face value on that because i know the shows that were nominated i don't know the names the designers yeah i'm trying to get better at people but there's just so much in the world there's so many designers so many white men yeah, yeah, I know. As it's as true. a white man, as a, as two white men, we're aware that there are too many of us. Absolutely, we're trying. Yes, to. I mean, I'm doing my part in trying to be less manly, so <laughs> I can't do much about my whiteness. Yes, we can shed our masculinity. Yes, and I mean, I don't think my knowing every single word to Dreamgirls does much to tarnish my whiteness. I, in fact, that makes me probably more white. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, you know, I try to just be less manly as I can. Yeah, we're working on it. I'm if Michelle Pock wants to top me, she can. Yes. If that <laughs> if that will officially <laughs> to do top it. you. Yeah, I think that'll officially make me uh no longer a man. Um just letting Michelle Pock go to town on me. Yeah. Um 
Yeah. <laughs> we both just contemplated it for a moment. Like we what did. Would, what, what, would, you, what would that be like? <clears throat> I'm sure it'd be delightful. I, I'm as, sure. As long as she kept her Tony in the room and did her Maisie Lebert <laughs> squawk at the yes. end, I I could finish. <laughs> I could do it. As long as you kept eyes on the Tony at all times. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the only way I could have sex with some people in general. Yes. I would just, I need to look at your Tony. I don't need to touch it. I just need to look at it. And mm-hmm. then you need to do, like, your famous whatever at the end. Yes. Anywho. Anywho. What was your first production of Seuss School that you did see live, though? Uh, I saw a essentially high school camp production at the Bellevue Society for the Arts in Bellevue, Ohio. Like where the um, institution was? No. That's in New York State. Different Bellevue. Yes, different Be- Bellevue, Ohio is... I got very concerned for Oh, that. a tiny, tiny town in Northwest Ohio, but bigger than the town that I grew up in. Um, I thought it was also talk about a framing device for Seussical. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Takes place at Bellevue. Can you imagine? Yeah. That's actually my framing device if I ever directed Cats, but I'm not... We're not talking about Cats, we're talking about Seussical. Yes, we're talking about Seussical. That is a framing device that would have happened in a Northwestern production up there with the, the refugee camp into the woods. What? Wait, was that actually a production? Oh, that was a thing. A refugee camp production of Into the Woods uh-huh. at Northwestern. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As in the the characters were... Uh, the pre-show was that you walked in and the characters were, were refugees prepping to put on a production of Into the Woods. Uh, and the giant was the guard in the tower. So when characters died in Into the Woods, they were shot from the, from the tower. Um. Oh, yeah. You're looking at me with such large eyes. I am not shitting you. That Alexis Bledel has nothing on my eyes right now. They yeah. are so wide. <laughs> they, they are so wide. And in fact, sometimes characters got shot by the guard before they died in the show. What? So the other characters had to uh, pick up the slack and do the lines of the dead person. Like the narrator died before the narrator dies in the show. So the other characters had to play the narrator whilst under duress having watched the narrator been shot it didn't make sense because then the guard shot some people at the time that they were supposed to die in the play when the characters knew they were going to die it didn't make sense it was a case of a a director with with big choices the musical big choices but i would be there for the the Bellevue Seussical. As would I. Jo- Jojo's alone in a straight with a straitjacket. Yeah. Imagines a hat, yeah. from which comes a cat and mm-hmm. a, the jungle of Newell. Yeah, it's everything is a drawing on the wall, probably made of excrement <gasps> that comes to life. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Yes. Yop. Very theater of the poor. Yop queen. Yop, Yop queen. Yop queen. Uh, so that was that was your first production, Bellevue. That was my first production, and can I tell you the only live production of Seussical I've ever seen? I've seen many a taped okay. production of Seussical. Um, I mean, it was a staple at Stage Door Manor. Let me tell you. I believe starring um, two of my nearest and dearest, Betsy Hogan, Lucas McMahon. Yeah, that's the production I saw. Broadway's own on both counts. On both counts, yeah. They, they, yeah, they both are Broadway people. Yes. Um, yes, Lucas was a wonderful Horton, and Betsy was a very funny cat in a hat. Cat yeah. in the hat. Cat in the hat. Cat in the hat, yes. Yeah, Betsy Hogue uh, m- replace, replaced Celia Keenan-Bolger in Peter and Starcatcher as Molly. Mm-hmm. Lucas McMahon, I believe former guest of this podcast... 
Lucas is a former guest on yes, the podcast. Yes, um, big fancy Broadway producer. Yes, big big fancy Broadway producer. But yes, uh, have you? I'm assuming you watched that video with Betsy and Lucas. Uh, Lucas is too embarrassed. He will never ever show it to me. What the? What then? Get Betsy to show it to you. That that is criminal. That one of your biggest Broadway obsessions that two of your closest friends have been and they won't let you see it. I know. I should ask again. I. I it lay dormant because I, it was a very fresh wound for Lucas for some reason, but uh, it's been fourteen. It's years. been he, yeah. He can let it go now, now. Now it's time. Yeah, he can shut the fuck up. And that's my assignment. Yes, yes. Before you go to Germany, it needs. Yes. To, it'll be your send off present. Yes. Um, if you were to music direct a revival of Susical. Who's in your dream company? Oh my goodness. I know you've thought about this. I actually of. haven't. <sighs> um, Once again, you underwhelm me as a gay. I know. Uh, maybe a Kristen Milioti Gertrude moment. Ooh. Oh yeah, like we're, we're talking like artisanal singing. <laughs> well, and if it's a Bellevue musical. Yes. Can we imagine that this is the Bellevue Seussical? In my <laughs> in my mind, it's just uh, the production of Lazarus now, but like it's Seussical. Did you see Lazarus? Speaking I did, of Kristen Milioti, I did not. It's crazy. Michael C. Hall stabbed Sophia and Caruso. She bled milk, and then they slip and slided through the milk to "We Can Be Heroes." Kristen oh. Milioti wore um, a go-go wig and got strangled in a refrigerator. <gasps> yeah. Wow. It's, I would be into it. Yeah, so that's that's this production. Of that's this production starring Rob McClure as the Cat in the Hat. Yes, because oh, I love that. of course, of course, he's an absolute genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, who? Oh, who is my Maisie LaBird? Uh, oh, maybe a, a sensible Gray Henson as gender fluid. Oh no, no no no! As as Horton, I took a oh, detour. T- I was about to say I would not be mad about Gray Henson playing Maisie LaBird. You know, he'd be a good Horton. Yeah, he would be a good Horton, but he'd be a better Maisie. He would be. I would say, if we're trying to keep it in the original keys, I would have Leslie Kritzer record the vocals and then have Gray Henson lip sync to the vocals. <laughs> yes. I feel like that would be sensible. Oh, a Kritzer Maisie, Maisie mm-hmm. would be iconic. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll just keep it in the Beetlejuice family now. Yes, that's the Tony. And then Carrie Butler and Sophia and Caruso will be two of the bird, the bird girls. girls. Damn it, girl, this is your revival. You can cast whoever the fuck you want. That's true. Oh, Alex Brightman as, as a Horton. He'd be a good Horton. He'd be a good Horton. He would be a good Horton. I think oh. we need another take. We've seen the very sweet, simple version. Mm-hmm. And and maybe the the true uh, Bellevue patient uh, take on it from Alex Brightman. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, too much Coke, Horton. <laughs> I wish that you people could hear my movements on this podcast. Because when you said <laughs> Bellevue Horton, I need everyone to know what Patrick just saw, which was me... A convulsion? It was a huge convulsion. Yes. I literally convulsed in my chair. Um, that It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and then I feel like there's one more we should have that we haven't cast yet. We don't haven't casted JoJo. Maybe Sophia and Caruso, but I'd rather... I don't know. I want like one of those gay little kids from School of Rock that we don't know yet. Luca Padavan. Do you know Luca? Yeah. The most the... talented person in the entire universe. He played the gay kid in School of Rock, did he not? He did. Yes. Yes. And then he was, and he's Eliza and the little gay boy Skylar sisters. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying little gay boys in a derogatory Faye Dunaway kind of way. I'm saying it in a very endearing kind of way. <laughs> yes, we're not punching anyone on this podcast. No, 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 no. We're not. We are serving tea, but not at five. Yes. <laughs> oh God. 
No, anybody? Anybody? Uh, Faye Dunaway. I'm glad you got that joke, or at least you pretended to. Oh, no, 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 I did, because Faye Dunaway, just as a personality, intrigues Mm me as someone uh, so cruel. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so Seussical and Faye Dunaway, I'll let you keep your gay card, despite the fact that you don't watch Drop Dead Gorgeous or other movies. So sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. That's all, no, yeah, that's fine. That's all fine. Luca, what's-his-face is Jojo. And then... We need some really sensible cameo for the for the bailiff, just for that for that one bit. Oh, I need a good bailiff. Who's like a who's my favorite? Somebody throaty. Yeah. Uh, I'm really thinking of like, you know, prime vocals. Who who would be like very special and just for me, or who would be perfect? Because like. For just, it's your revival. What you, what, what you I, want? I, I want... D-Hody? You want no, some D-Hody in there? But I do want like a Carolee Carmelo. Ooh! To, to give me full Carolee for those 16 bars. Carolee. She would find a way to have the vibrato of 90 million people and that one rise. Yes. Everyone rise! Rise! Oh. Every time I try to do her Do It Alone Leo from Parade, it just comes out Irish. <laughs> do, it do it alone, Leo. Leo. Do it all by yourself. <laughs> After all, so many people love you. They're dancing in the streets, Leo. <laughs> Close. I mean, kind of. That's I mean, a she, good impression. That's how she says Leo. She goes, Leo, Leo. They're yeah. dancing in the streets, Leo. Anyway, anyway. Uh, I think this is a good place to come to an end. I think We've so. We've managed to talk about Seussical a surprising amount. You'd think that this is a rather off-topic obsession, but you listened to the one with Kevin Duda. We got off-topic a lot, so yes. it's fine. There is no topic. <laughs> there was no topic. It was, it was, and I, I'll say this out loud because he and I have discussed this since then. He's like, yeah, I probably should have picked like a show. And I was like, yeah, you probably should have. <laughs> um, instead, he chose a, a, like a, a frame of mind. Yes, and I, I went... And I was like, nobody thinks on Broadway. Yes, what is thinking? What is thinking? People make decisions when they see dollar signs. Absolutely. Every time Sun Foster cooter slammed and drowsy chaperone, I didn't have a thought in my yeah. head. <laughs> I just... It's just, I just waves of adrenaline. Yeah, I just was yes. in those moments. Yep. So, we're going to come to the end of this. You can find Patrick Sulkin on all the social medias, I'm assuming. Or just uh, Instagram. Just Instagram. I recently got rid of my Twitter because I thought it was toxic and awesome. it was not sparking joy anymore. Good for so you. So you can find me on Instagram mm-hmm. at Patrick Sulkin. Mm-hmm. Um, I am on Facebook, but I won't friend you if I don't know you. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, that It took us many years for you to finally accept my friend request. No. No, I was joking. Oh, okay. You, <laughs> you, I'm sorry. You accepted immediately because okay, I'm me. Yes, because I love you and I know you. Yes. There are people now that have, you do. There are people that have been in my Facebook purgatory for literal years, so I was afraid <laughs> fair, I had oh, no, put fair. you there. Fair, 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 fair. Um, you can reach out to me via Instagram, uh, my website, patricksalkin.com. Uh, really, those are the ways. Those are the only ways? His phone number is. Yeah, I was like, I could give you my phone number, no, email address, but I certainly that. won't. No, we learned that the hard way. Yes. Um, Patrick, we close out these episodes with a diva. Uh, I would like to extend the invitation to you of what diva you would like to have close us out today. Any diva. Well, hopefully one that we haven't done before, but you also don't know all the ones we've done before. Oh, interesting. Um, should it stay in the in the world? 
I mean, if you'd like. Unless you want to go really far out of left field. Well, mm, I can stay in the in the late 90s, early 2000s world and give you a, a Lilius White. We did do Lilius White. Oh, no. Lucas, but... Lucas uh, asked for Lilius White. Of course he did. I know. I was, did he I was ask so for happy. the life or how to succeed? He so he never. So we don't usually choose the song. I choose the song. But I think when he requested it, I did do uh, Brotherhood of Man. I believe that's what I picked. Um, but don't quote me on that. You can find his episode. It's on iTunes. Okay, great. I, I'll um, listen to it. I, I mean, like star of my production of Susical as the Bailiff, Carolee Carmelo. Have we gone there? I don't think so. Hold up. Uno momento. Let's see. Have we done Carolee Carmelo? We have not. We can do Carolee Carmelo. Oh, perfection. Perfection. I also love how you said star of your production of Susical. She's a cameo. Oh, yes. But Cameo she, Carmelo. Cameo Carmelo. But she would be nominated for Future Actress. Oh, absolutely. Yes. It's a full-on King George III situation. Absolutely. Five minutes of stage time, but just bam. B- bam. Bam. I, I, I imagine her also playing Judge Yertle the Turtle. Like, <laughs> she introduces herself and then steps up yeah. to the... Well, so the we're also going to keep it in the... Um, mind frame of the original workshop production to see the school and keep it small so she'll also double as the mayor's wife because it's a cast of 10 yes so yeah so it's it's a true tour de force she's playing three characters in like one scene i actually think were i to real life revive Susical, that's the vibe we want we want a 10 person imaginative like theater of the poor pull yeah. it out of a box put it in the circle in the square but Ugh. somehow give me the same broadway orchestrations somehow find a way for that broadway pit to be in there yes yeah, yeah. a cast of 10 and orchestra of 16 or however yeah, many that's that's all all I want. I would die. Give me honestly. a and a perfect world. Give me a black box production of Carousel with a thirty piece orchestra. Mm. Somehow make that shit work. Uh, yeah. Yes, Queen. Um, yeah. So we'll do Carly Carmelo then. Uh, do you actually want to pick the song, or do you want to be surprised when you listen to this? Well, I mean, you probably can't get Carly singing "Winner Takes It All," can you? Because that's the I. No, I can do it. Okay, that's um, the vibe. Yeah, I don't know if there's a professional recording of her doing it, but there's a very good video recording that i can get the audio of if that's what you want you can do that or you can surprise me when i listen to this i will i will thrilled okay i'm not gonna tell you what i'm gonna do then great be surprised next monday i love uh in the meantime everybody this is broadway breakdown you can find me matt coplick on instagram as well uh and until then keep breaking i don't know we don't usually have a real sign off It'll fade out and Carly will start coming in. Yeah, you have to have one. Yeah. Wait. No, I don't. It's my podcast. I'll do it. Okay, great. (laughs) Yop, queen. Yop. Yop. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. 
They'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.